break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 10th of September, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show, as we always are, and plenty for you here on the show Like we always do, we're going to be talking about a humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan that's unfolding in a big way right now. We're going to also be talking about how economic hardship here in the United States in relationship to the economic troubles linked to COVID-19 is still very high. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we are going to start with the issue of what's really going on as it concerns race, ethnicity, and vaccinations. One of the most persistent pieces of commentary around the issue of vaccines in the United States has been around the issue of racial disparities in terms of who has received the vaccine. In fact, many vaccine skeptics have been aggressively promoting anecdotal and decontextualized evidence that there is mass opposition among blacks to vaccines over and above any other part of the population to try to bolster their highly irresponsible attempts to justify people not being vaccinated and opposition to common sense public health measures. Well, we are here today to tell you, don't believe the hype. The story around black America and vaccinations is not nearly as bleak as it's being presented, and the conversation about why racial disparities do exist is certainly more complex than the flattened narratives about quote-unquote government mistrust. So let's start with the fact that we don't have complete data on race and vaccinations. Various states are keeping the data in various ways, and the CDC admits they also do not have complete data on race and vaccination. So just right there, it seems like making hard and fast generalizations in and of itself is something to be careful about. But with all those caveats noted, we certainly can learn from the data that is out there. The Kaiser Family Foundation has been doing consistent research into a range of factors regarding COVID, including race and ethnicity. Their most recent look at the issue estimated based on state-level data, which is the most complete, is that based off of the 44 states with strong data, they estimate 43% of black people have at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. But to give you a sense of the point I was making earlier about what the lack of data means, the Kaiser Family Foundation tracking poll, which has been asking people over time a range of different things regarding COVID, including asking people their race and if they're vaccinated, found that 65% of the black respondents stated that they had been vaccinated. Now, of course, that makes sense. The incomplete numbers undoubtedly means there's an undercount in general on a range of things, including the number of black people who have been vaccinated. And of course, with polling, there are other issues that impact it, where people live, how old they are, and so on, which all heavily impact the likelihood of whether you're vaccinated or not. But either way, 
The point still stands. If somewhere between 43% and 65% of black adults are vaccinated, it seems totally absurd to make any sort of argument that black people in general do not want to get vaccinated. Or as some seem to be saying, that black people are leading some sort of righteous resistance to vaccines that makes those promoting public health into some sort of racist. It's also worth noting here that the Kaiser Family Foundation has also detailed that, quote, between August 16th and September 7th, black and Hispanic people experienced a larger increase in vaccination rates compared to white and Asian people, narrowing the disparities in vaccination rates, end quote. Looking at the state level data, which, as I said earlier, is often more robust, is also notable, although it doesn't tell one single story. For instance, in Maryland, 58 percent of black people eligible for the vaccination are vaccinated. In Michigan, it's 32%. Massachusetts, 62%. D.C., 40%. Iowa, 28%. California, 52%. And Ohio, 40%, just to name a few. In Mississippi, that's the state with the highest percentage of black people, 47% of black people are vaccinated compared to 45% of whites. In Texas, with the largest raw number of black people, 40% of eligible blacks are vaccinated compared to 49% for whites. In Louisiana, 49% of blacks are vaccinated as compared to 47% of whites. Ultimately, you see where I'm going here. Making some sort of broad generalization about black people and vaccines is, quite frankly, a fool's errand. And if anyone is doing anything racist, it's the people who are trying to create some sort of anti-vaccine front out of black America to cover their deeply mistaken ideas about COVID-19 and vaccinations. And on that note, the same Kaiser Family Foundation tracking poll I mentioned earlier also asked people if they were, quote unquote, definitely not going to get the vaccine. 16 percent of black respondents said they would definitely not get the vaccine. 15 percent of whites said the same thing. Just for context, the top two categories that they measured there in terms of people saying that they were definitely not going to get it were people who were 18 to 29, 21% of whom said they were definitely not going to get it, and Republicans, 20% of whom said they were definitely not going to get a vaccine. The Kaiser Family Foundation also asked people a range of questions about why they were hesitant to get a vaccine. The way the questions are asked, it's not a ranking per se, but everyone is asked if they are worried about particular things. So the higher percentage of people answering that they are concerned gives you a better sense of broad trends in a community. And the issue of highest concern among black Americans who were polled was the fear that they, quote, might experience serious side effects, with 82% of respondents expressing worry over this. Second was a worry that, quote, the COVID-19 vaccines are not as safe as they are said to be, with 75% of people being concerned on that note. And the third was that, quote, the COVID-19 vaccine may negatively impact their fertility in the future, end quote, and with 56% expressing concern on that front. And fourth was the concern that they, quote, might need to miss work if the side effects of the vaccine make them feel sick for a day or more, with 55% expressing that concern. And these responses almost certainly provide at least some of the answer for the state-by-state disparities. To the extent people feel they have answers to these questions that are satisfactory, they are probably more likely to be vaccinated. So just to offer a few notes on this, who maybe some people who agree with that, who are feeling a little skeptical, these are all very valid concerns. As to the first, it is possible you will have some side effects. It's also possible that you won't. And in almost all cases, they are fairly mild. And more importantly, If you are not vaccinated and get COVID-19, you are far more likely to have the worst side effect possible, and that is to die. In Alabama, you are 48 times more likely to die if you are unvaccinated. 
Three people per 100,000 people are dying in Alabama of COVID-19 who are vaccinated versus 124 per 100,000 people who are dying who are unvaccinated of COVID-19. In California, you are 58 times more likely to die of COVID-19 if you are not vaccinated. In Arizona, you are 73 times more likely to die if you are not vaccinated and get COVID-19. In Georgia, you are 87 times more likely to die. In Texas, you are 85 times more likely to die. So once again, if you do not get the vaccine, you are significantly more likely to die of COVID-19 if you get it. And COVID-19 is spreading faster than ever. And the virus, this Delta variant, is in fact more virulent than it's ever been. As for the safety of vaccines, billions of people have gotten all of the various vaccines approved by the World Health Organization, which includes all of the vaccines available in the U.S., among others. There is no evidence of any sort that the vaccines are unsafe. Like with any medicine you will take, and like everything from birth control to chemotherapy, there can be side effects and risks. But again, the vaccines are safe. Just to give you some examples, if you're hesitant about save the U.S. government, Vietnam, socialist government, not necessarily the greatest friend of the United States, has approved the Pfizer vaccine for use. And Venezuela, definitely a country that is not in the good graces with the U.S. authorities, is participating in the COVAX mechanisms, which means that it may end up using some of the Pfizer vaccines. And right now, Fosun Pharmaceuticals in China is working with Pfizer to get the vaccine approved there, something that the state-run Global Times newspaper reports should happen imminently. So, Not U.S. puppets or proxies there, and all three of those countries are aggressively promoting that everyone get vaccinated. And actually, the same thing is true of the Moderna vaccine with Vietnam and Venezuela. And it's also worth noting that despite expressing early skepticism, the government in Iran is now attempting to import both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and also encouraging people to be vaccinated. So again, nothing wrong with being concerned. Nothing at all. But when it concerns safety... There is no evidence that the vaccines are unsafe. And everyone from me to the CDC to the countries that are targeted for destruction by the U.S. government are not questioning the safety of the vaccines you are likely to get. And again, if you don't get it, you are far more likely to die. As for missing work, this is a serious issue. Roughly 30 million workers in the U.S. do not have access to one paid sick day off. So first off, without any doubt, we need paid sick leave for all workers, period. But certainly, if we want to increase vaccinations, and this should be a major demand placed on the government. And also, we should be providing far more robust support for people who get COVID to not only allow them to miss work, but to make sure that they don't lose income either. But since these are things that can't happen overnight, let me offer this to those who are feeling hesitant because of this issue. The reality is, if you get COVID, you will not only be more likely to miss work and lose income, You are also more likely to lose your job because you have to be out for an extended period of time, much longer than any side effects from any vaccination. And also, again, you are more likely to die. I'm vaccinated. I worked the day after my second shot. And I won't lie, it was rough. But I'm begging you, risk it. I don't want you to die. I know it's worrisome, especially when you work at a job where you probably can't call out, or at least not without losing money, But on balance, you are much safer health and income-wise getting the vaccine. I'm telling you, I've got the vaccine. My mom's got the vaccine. My sister, my brother, my cousins, my nieces, my nephews. We're all black. We've all gotten the vaccine. Everyone here at Breakthrough News, regardless of ethnicity, we got the vaccine. All of us are okay. 
All of us are very happy we got vaccinated. All of us want you to be vaccinated. I know you're hearing all sorts of things, but the reality is you are much safer on balance, health and income wise, if you get the vaccine. And that brings us to the closing point. I know some are feeling unsure around the vaccine mandate, but we can't lose sight that this is a serious public health crisis. In the 2019-2020 flu season, there's many as 62,000 people who died from the flu. In 2018 to 2019, 34,000. Those aren't small numbers. But think about it like this. In 2020 and 2021, 656,000 people have died of COVID-19. Just to keep that even further in context, in 2019, 36,000 people in the U.S. died from car crashes. Also in 2019, 599,000 people died of cancer. I remember, 656,000 people have died of COVID-19 in little over a year. And it gives you a sense when you put it alongside some of those other issues that this is a massive health crisis. And the biggest risk to it getting worse is the unvaccinated population continuing to get the virus, to get very sick, which they're more likely to do, and to die, which they are more likely to do. And the larger the percentage of the population that's unvaccinated, the more likely new vaccine-resistant variants can develop, which will make the crisis even worse by making all of us more likely to be hospitalized and more likely to die from COVID-19. We can't let the government off the hook. And here at Breakthrough News, we haven't since day one. The government must provide total health care and income support for people who are sick and to make sure that they can get the vaccine. You should raise your voice around all these demands. But the fact of the matter is, mass vaccination is a common sense public health measure. You are far less likely to die if you were vaccinated. So let's drop all the straw men here and act accordingly. <laughs> As we mentioned to you a few days ago, the impact of the Delta variant is certainly hitting the economy and, as we noted, was likely to mean elevated levels of hardship among working people. So I took a look at the most recent Household Pulse survey by the Census Bureau that measures just these facts, how much hardship there is in the economy through a range of questions on an ongoing basis. What did the most recent report say? 45% of adults in the United States, roughly 113 million people, experienced either a little difficulty, some difficulty, or a lot of difficulty, very much difficulty is the way it's phrased there, paying their usual household expenses between August 18th and August 30th. 10% or 24 million people reported that they were in the very difficult to meet their household expenses category during this time period. When the same question was asked of adults living in households with children, 50% responded that they had difficulty paying their usual household expenses. When the same question was posed to those making less than $50,000 a year, 66% were having difficulty paying their usual weekly household expenses. So again, as we consistently say on this show, it is deeply misplaced to accept all of this rah-rah, the economy is coming back, it's all going to be good nonsense. The pain from the COVID-induced economic crisis and the deep pre-existing poverty in this country is very real and very deep. <laughs> The United Nations is warning that Afghanistan is on the brink of a serious humanitarian disaster. 
As Al Jazeera notes, a report released on Thursday from the United Nations Development Program said that the poverty rate could increase by up to 25 percent as a result of the contraction of Afghanistan's real gross domestic product, GDP. Half of the country is already in the need of humanitarian support. And Al Jazeera goes on to detail further that this means that, quote, about 97 percent of Afghanistan's population may sink below the poverty line. 97 percent below the poverty line, unless the country's political and economic crises are addressed. Doctors Without Borders also warned this week that the country's healthcare system, such as it is, is facing potential collapse. Banks are running out of cash, prices of fuel and food are spiking, and government salaries cannot be paid. Now, the underlying reason behind this is that the U.S. and other international actors have frozen the access of the Taliban to the $10 billion in funds from the Afghanistan Central Bank that are mainly held abroad. The IMF, by the way, is also blocking $440 million in funds slated for Afghanistan. The U.N. Special Envoy on Afghanistan, Deborah Lyons, appealed this week to the U.N. Security Council, saying that a way has to be found to get money into the country to prevent what she said would be a, quote, total breakdown of the economy and social order, end quote. She also stated, quote, the economy must be allowed to breathe for a few more months, giving the Taliban a chance to demonstrate flexibility and a genuine will to do things differently this time, notably from a human rights, gender and counterterrorism perspective. Again, that's Deborah Lyons, the official U.N. special envoy on Afghanistan. Despite her pleas, the U.S. in particular is pushing a very hard line, saying that they will not support releasing any funds of any significance until the Taliban does what they want. Other international actors are saying the same. So ultimately, the mass of people in Afghanistan are being held hostage as a weapon against the Taliban. Comply or we will make sure people starve. An extraordinarily callous position. Quite frankly, to me, it seems whatever we think of the Taliban, why should 97% of the country be forced to live in poverty because the Taliban and major Western countries can't agree on how the country should be governed? How does mass poverty and hunger help anyone? It seems, sadly, more likely than not, that this impasse will be very difficult to break in the coming weeks, meaning that after 20 years of brutal war and occupation, the actions of the West will cause even more suffering in Afghanistan. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 